Tervistead vaatajad fotograafiske jutud on taas eetris. Minu nimi on Aleksander Eeri Laupmaa ja kuna tänane külaline ei ole õppinud selgeks eesti keelt, siis keeran kohe ümber enda aju inglis keelele. So my guest today is Julia S.H. Hello, Julia. Hello. Your work shows an amazing fascination with the human body. Yes. And maybe you want to tell us to start off how did you become fascinated uh, by the human body? Uh, yeah, that is a good question. Um, I don't know if there's a straightforward answer, but I think um, I grew up in Stockholm, Sweden and in the 80s, and um, I always felt like we had a very pragmatic view on the human body. Um, so for me, like nudity uh, and the way we relate to our bodies wasn't like a big thing. But as soon as I moved to the US, I realized just like how culturally loaded the body was. And, and sure, it is all around the world. But uh, I felt like it was such a big jump from, from coming from a place where I had no real sort of body awareness and I never really talked down to myself. And that was like a really terrible habit that I started with in my 20s when I moved there. And I was, I guess my photography is about exploring like why suddenly like I putting all these um, ideals on myself, pressures uh, that are completely unnecessary. And uh, I think that kind of photography for me is, is a kind of a self-healing journey in some ways um, and also a way of giving a voice for culturally underrepresented body types as well. So, but basically, uh, until you were living in Sweden, you didn't have that fascination? It only started... Uh, yeah, because I wasn't even really aware of my body when I lived there. And granted, I mean, I haven't lived there since I was 18. And I'm sure, you know, there's pressure on young women to look a certain way now that maybe didn't exist when I was growing up. But I certainly didn't feel it when I was growing up. So, yeah, the fascination came a lot later. I felt like I was incredibly free with my... Um, expression um, and it wasn't until I moved I really kind of became quite self-conscious and, uh, and was there like a big switch uh, or change that happened in your work when you uh, when you moved or can you point to the mm. uh, to the time when it uh, started that you started doing this type of work you know I actually stopped doing all photography after I finished art school and it wasn't that I wanted to but I just took a longer break than I had anticipated because coming to the United States was more difficult than I thought. Um, everything in terms of immigration, staying there, finding a job and becoming neutralized, what have you. So um, it wasn't until 2012 I picked up a camera again and I wasn't even sure where to start and what I wanted to do. And I had some vague idea I wanted to do portraiture because I've always been interested in uh, human subjects. And I remember bringing in a group of women for this project and ended up seeing them in, in different poses. And I was getting like more and more overwhelmed with like amount of jewelry and clothing and whatever they were wearing. And eventually I just asked them to take it all off and did a nude shoot with them. And it kind of started this whole, whole journey um, of, of nude photography that I've been doing. So I kind of stumbled upon it just through that shoot itself. And I didn't quite know that I had so much to say about it. And how did you approach them? Was, uh, was that like the, the pitch to them that uh, I want to portray a certain type of body in a certain no, type of way? No, not initially. The, yeah. No, initially I just wanted to pick up a camera again and that spurred this particular photo shoot. But uh, building upon that, it 
really opened up a door just with the communication I have with, with the models and understanding just like how, especially women, think about their bodies and how incredibly hard we are on them um, and these like unrealistic body ideals that we try to adhere to. So the camera in some ways become a passport in, into other worlds. It becomes like a door into other people's hidden lives. And I feel connecting with people about their insecurities heals me in some way. And, and I think there are some body types and bodies in general that are, um, you know, struggling more maybe than others too. And I, those are the ones I really try and give a voice in my work. And, and in the United States especially, there's a lot of people on the struggle with weight and whatnot and also the extreme bullying that they are experiencing. So that, that became something I became quite interested in and exploring because um, it's a very uh, sort of hidden journey they're on in some ways. And uh, yeah, that's, it's been incredibly touching to, to work with them. And uh, I try and give them a, as opposed to a platform to exist as artworks rather than saying like, oh, these are now nude people. We're looking at them as nude as objects, but they're human beings in their sort of fullness. So that's what I'm trying to, to portray. Yeah, it's also very interesting that many times, whoever we have an exhibition uh, of uh, at Fotografiska, mm. uh, oftentimes I show people the exhibition and then they ask, but why has the artist chosen to uh, photograph these people naked? Yeah, why not? And yeah, exactly. Well, the, this is what I answer every single time, that the naked body is the natural way mm -hmm. of the human form. But the way that we have been conditioned is that we question why somebody naked rather than why are they not naked? Why right. has somebody decided to cover their body for their art? Yeah, I mean, you can also yeah. argue then that clothes is, is a way of, you know, dictating how we look at bodies. I mean, I'm wearing this thing now because I don't really like wearing tight clothes because there are certain parts of my body that I don't really like. So, I mean, this is also indicating a way that I want you to perceive me and my body just by dressing. So in nudity, like, we're there in our most natural form, as you say, and there's like nothing to hide and that's what we really look like. So for me, that's more exciting in some ways, but it's also completely uninteresting to me how we are, how we look naked. And yeah. I think just being, because I still feel very pragmatic about other people's bodies. I just don't feel that about myself. I can truly aesthetically be uh, intrigued and, and, and find extreme pleasure in the visual um, representation of other bodies, but yet I'm like super hard on myself. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what that disconnect is. I mean, I can feel kinder toward myself through the discussions I have with my models, for sure. So it's a very self-serving, selfish thing that I'm doing by photographing them in some ways. I mean, I, I like to say it's all for the greater good, but like for me, it's a healing journey too. Yeah. Of just befriending my body again. By, but that's yeah. very cool that you see that at least because I feel that there are many artists and there, it's not like a knock on them, mm. but it's uh, that they do a certain type of work. And again, it's focused on a certain type of issue or a problem, mm. but they're unable to see how it connects to their own uh, insecurities. Right. Yeah. So I, at least to have that pers uh, perspective and to know that, oh, actually, I'm trying to heal myself with that work. is I think yeah. it's, it's very, very valuable. How do the subjects uh, themselves usually uh, perceive uh, what you're trying to do? do uh, is it hard for them to open up? Is it hard for them to show themselves? Is it hard for them to, to pose? 
I, th I would say in the beginning, when I started photographing, especially bigger bodies, it was more of a hurdle because I didn't have the kind of visual portfolio to back up to say, this is what I'm trying to do. Um, and that completely changed once I had a couple of models post for me, where I had now a visual reference of saying, listen, I'm trying to just um, use your body and create an artwork, basically. Um, so that was definitely, I think, a turning point after I worked with a wonderful woman who's been featured in my work a lot called Angelina Duplicia. And so after she posed, there was a lot of people in her immediate um, circle that reached out to me and said, hey, listen, we really want to help you with this. I think you're giving a voice to us, and we find it important, and we'd like to pose. So they were incredibly generous after that, which was really nice to really connect with a, a kind of um, a group of people I had no access to previously. And I would uh, take that most of your subjects are also from the States? They are, yeah. Some obviously have immigrated like myself, but yes, they yeah. are US-based. Because what you uh, pointed towards earlier was that uh, the cultural shift is uh, so strong. Com like if you compare Scandinavian countries to the States, how mm -hmm. we perceive the body and how much we think about it, talk about it, point to it. And I, I know people who have come to Finland or Estonia and they go to a sauna, like people from the yes. States, for example, and mm -hmm. they want to stay clothed and everybody's just like, why, why don't you just like be naked and everybody else is naked? And the way that they talk about it is those crazy people, they want to be naked next to me and they look at me weird, like, why am I not naked? And they have this very strong, like this very Puritan uh, perspective on like yeah. what, what you're doing is so strange, it's so weird. Yeah. Yeah. Do and you, do I, I feel, yeah, I hear you. There's so many of my American friends that are just perplexed about this co-ed sauna thing. And so many of the guys are like, I'm so afraid I would get a boner. I'm like, you'd be hard pressed <laughs> to get a boner in there. I'm sorry. <laughs> wow. I feel like that is like the least sexual place you can go to. Maybe your doctor. I mean, unless you have a fetish for that. Yeah. Uh, would you be willing to give some examples of your own insecurities? Like if you went, when you went to the States, like what was the thing that you felt insecure about? Um, How did you first perceive uh, this shift? I think, you know, honestly, I felt it already when I moved to England for school. And I remember the first couple of days I was there, I was so used to in Sweden, like we hug and kiss goodbye, men, women, no big deal. And I did it there and the guy was like, just froze up and thought I was like maybe coming on to him or something. And I realized this, this whole tactical, like I'm going to touch you thing the private space thing was much more honored there than it was in Scandinavia, in my opinion. And that goes for the United States as well. Like I, I felt it was misconstrued a lot, my, like as a, misconstrued maybe as intimacy or trying to, I don't know, like invade someone's private space. Because um, I, I don't know, all I ever remember from growing up in Sweden was just like, we're always hugging and kissing. It's like no big deal. But maybe that has changed too. I can't really comment on that now. But yeah, that was one of the first things. Uh, have you seen like uh, a through line uh, with all the different people that you have photographed? like a common, again, let's say a common um, misjudgment about themselves or a belief, misplaced belief about themselves that uh, that makes mm. them suffer or makes them not enjoy life or see themselves as, yeah. as being not enough? Yeah, I think 
I have this wonderful mod I work with Leslie who said, the biggest bodies are usually the least visible in the room. And mm -hmm. I think that kind of stuck with me that there is this quiet judging happening that is really making a lot of them feel quite alienated because they're either maybe attack for being really large, but not to their face. Like they hear about it on social media. Let's say they post a picture, like this incredible fat shaming and there's fat shaming in the media. It's all kind of indirect rather than to their face. So in a lot of public situations, they just get looked at in a way that isn't pleasant. So, and I, I noticed that too, like when I go to lunch with them or anything else, it's, it must be incredibly hard. Yeah, I feel, I can't imagine what it's like to, to have to live like that. And have you ever had anybody who hasn't been willing to actually um, open up in a way that you can photograph them, that they, they still feel too much shame or too much embarrassment, that they say like, hey, I can't go through with it, it's, it's too much for me? I actually, I haven't. And I think I've been, either I've been really lucky or maybe we've connected on a human plane before we even photographed because I feel like the conversations about nudity and representation are incredibly important to have before you photograph. Um, and everything I do is very informal. Um, it's quick and I try and work always within their limitations. But I've been surprised that there haven't been a lot of limitation I had to adhere to. So um, no, no, actually not. And I, I, I hope it's because they feel comfortable. Yeah, well, it is quite clear looking at your works that you have a very pure intention. That oh, your intention nice. is you. not to shame anybody. Your not, intention is not to, um, I'm not sure what the word is. Like, it's not fantasy. It's not sexualization. Mm. It's not any type of fetish, fetishization. Mm. It's just, this is human form. This yeah. is human body. It's very, I appreciate that pure. because in yeah. the States, they always try and frame it like, oh, you're celebrating the body. And I said, I never tried to do any of those things. These are labels you're putting on because they talk a lot about body positivity. And I'm not considering myself some body positivity activist. I mean, that's, if someone gets that from the work, then that's wonderful. Like that's a, that's a great, you know, thing. But that's not what I'm aiming to do. I'm not trying to put anyone on a pedestal and say like, I'm not hailing a body type. I'm just yeah. trying to give them the, the, uh, the picture. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is very, very important because uh, recently, I'd say like about a month ago, we had uh, a certain, from a certain company, a big group of people came to Fotografiska to see the exhibitions. And uh, there, is a, there was a beautiful exhibition by Pixie Liao. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. You know Pixie yeah. Liao? Yeah. Uh, and uh, she has some photos of uh, herself and her uh, partner uh, almost naked, some naked, no like uh, hardcore nudity or anything, but you can just see that they're not clothed. Yeah. Uh, and uh, one of the people from the company was from the States and she was the person who had organized the event. Everybody else fr was from different European countries. And uh, I went through the exhibition with them. I talk about the exhibition. Everything is just as normal. And at some point, uh, she starts apologizing to everybody uh, because she says that uh, she's from the States. And in, in the States, it's not appropriate to go somewhere with your colleagues where you can see the naked human body. Oh, and wow. everybody from Europe was just like, what are you talking about? This is like. It's just, it's just an exhibition. It's just 
and it's not like hardcore porn or anything. It's not right. It's not like, yeah. It's just very it's just beautiful human bodies, just next to each other, just naked, nothing else, no sexuality, nothing like that. But she was apologizing because she felt like she had like crossed the boundary that she shouldn't have crossed. Oh wow. Yeah. Interesting cultural differences. Yeah, yeah, no, it again. really is. It right. really is. It's it's a place where, you know, I find United States be so progressive in some ways, and then so completely conservative at others. And I think, you know, obviously now with abortion bans and everything, it's, you it's, know, coming into light, it's like, ooh, you know, it's it, we got to look at America for what what America is now too, which is incredibly divided. Yeah, it's yeah. and it's it talks to the previous point that you made as well that it's. Uh, like you have all the ex extremes in America at the same time. At mm -hmm. the same time, you have, again, as you said, like this body positivity movement. But it's, again, even the body positivity, it's a very certain type of like... Um, oh, yeah, it's, it's very like, polarized. Yeah, exactly. It's like this. It yeah. isn't like, let's just be accepting. It's oh, let's it's start praising. Let's right. start glamorizing. Let's start whatever, doing whatever, not just being like, bodies are like this, bodies are, are like yes. that. It always has to be like, there has to be like this mission, this uh, this uh, this hardcore fighting oh, yeah, for a certain type home. of cause. I mean, I think the best we can aim for is body neutrality. Of yeah. Saying, okay, here's the here's body and it does this thing and it does that thing and great. I mean, beyond that, it's, well, we're putting so much pressure on it, uh, the way it's supposed to behave and look and everything. So yeah, the body positivity uh, movement, like I know they mean good, but you know, sometimes they do more harm too because this positive self-talk is also not sustainable, in my yeah. opinion. Maybe it's because I like to call myself a realist. I think in America, I am considered a pessimist. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know. Yeah. You know, like, I think when I moved there, everyone is, 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 is you, you, how would I best describe this? Like, there's lacks, there's some irony that's lacking. Like, if you go in and, they, they really think you can do it all. It's like you're always yeah. supposed to be like, well, anyone can do it. You're like, everything is like a Nike slogan. You know, yeah. you can do it. And I'm like, maybe I can't do it. And they're like, don't talk like that to yourself. Yeah. And I'm like, no, really, I really don't think I can do it. Like I had an ACL replacement. I really don't think I should be playing soccer. Yeah. You know, I'm quite worried about it. I'm like, no, no, that's just your negative self-talk talking. I'm like, no, that, that's my ligament talking. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or lack of ligament. Yeah, and all the commercials, like <laughs> also that Nike, for example, has like just you have to progress and be better every single day. <sighs> I'm like, no, maybe I can be better five days a week at maximum. But yeah. on Saturdays and Sundays, I don't want to be better. No, I want to relax. I maybe want to regress even a little bit. I don't have to get better every single day. It's not, no. it's not that important. Also, I only got better in my 20s, and now everything is like declining. I mean, I'm just trying to be realistic, you know? <laughs> so. <laughs> okay, wonderful. Uh, we're going to come right back. We're going to take a small commercial break and uh, keep on talking. And uh, see you soon. And we're back from the commercial break. Uh, Julia, uh, beforehand, uh, we mentioned something and uh, that brought into my, my mind another exhibition that we have on at the Photographisk at the moment by George Uzoki. Uh, do you know his works as well? Oh no, you put me on the spot. It doesn't matter. It's, uh, I'm going to say it today. Yeah, but, well, it's a beautiful, beauti beautiful exhibition and uh, he's an artist from South Korea, uh, born in 1992. And for the past 10 years he's been making um, photos that um, try to basically harmonize things that usually are very uh, contrasted. And what I mean by that, like taking uh, like modern technology uh, and uh, putting them together with like traditional uh, South Korean 
clothing mm -hmm. or uh, you have something that is very very new and very modern put together with like ancient statues but uh, he doesn't do it in a way that makes it feel like these things don't belong together he makes uh, he does it in a way that uh, gives you the feeling like hey this is the world that we live in these things they can harmonize mm -hmm. and because uh, we're living in this very strange moment where uh, we have like the old and the new at the same time we have everything at the same time and we have again this polarization where there's a bunch of people that feel like we're moving towards towards the future and uh, it's bad because n we're not human anymore uh, and there are some people who just want to move back to the woods and like uh, stop using electricity and wh whatever and then there are other people who just say like no we shouldn't even be human and we shouldn't even have our emotions because this is only bringing us pain so let's just be even more technology even more alien even more mm. uh, futur futuristic but he's uh, somebody who's uh, uh, who's able to bring those things together in a very natural way that he just again shows it to you and, and why I'm talking about this is because I feel this is what you're doing with the human body as well you're just like this is just the way it can be and he uses a lot of, of uh, flowers and flower is something that uh, if you're just looking at a flower you're not angry at the flower you're not pissed off at the flower you're not uh, jealous of the flower you're not anything about the flower you're just like oh this is just a flower and we're completely able to do that with flowers, mm. but we're very unable to do that with humans. Because with anybody who we see, we have some judgments, we have some jealousy, we have some preconceived notions, we want something from them, we're afraid of them, whatever it is. And with his works, I feel like uh, he gives this um, feeling that I can just look another human as a flower as well. That it's like, uh, let, let's say a rose, you have thorns in a rose, and if the thorn like picks you a bit, and hurts you, you're not angry at the rose because you're like, oh, this is a rose. This is what a rose does. Mm -hmm. But if a human being hurts us, you're like, how could you do this to me? You're being so evil. You're being mm -hmm. this, you're being that. We want to change the people. We want them to um, change in a way that we would feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I feel this is, again, very, very similar uh, to what I see in your work, is that you just show the human body as a flower basically oh, this nice. is this type of flower this is that type of flower mm. but I'm not gonna judge it I'm not gonna glamorize it I'm not gonna put it on a pedestal I'm just gonna show it as it is and you can just look at it and accept it this is really nice like this is the way I would love to talk about my work in the States but without them adding on the whole body positivity and all those angles too I think that's like incredibly healthy and yeah, that is you know because uh, uh, so many of your works, again, you have photographed people in nature mm -hmm. uh, and they have a very natural look, but also a very mystical, not mm -hmm. a mystical, uh, like a fantasy look at the same time, yeah. but not the fantasy in a way of like a fairy tale. It's like, mm, not sure what I want to say. It's, it, has this, um, it has this fantasy quality. So is, is there like a reason why this is, these are the settings that you that you choose. Yeah, I mean, I would, I think I've always referred to, at least myself, as like non-places. Because um, mm -hmm. I don't really know either what they are. Um, or what they, they don't need to be anything. And yeah, it, sometimes when I get too much context, it takes me out of things. And I think that is also what I like to give the viewer, is an opportunity to create the narrative for themselves of where they are, what they might be doing. 
You've been doing it for about 10 years now, right? Yeah, like 10 to 12. Uh, has there been a change in perception, uh, a change in your views? Uh, was there something that you believed or thought 10 years ago that you've changed your mind about over the course of uh, doing this project? Yeah, I think I think I was more apologetic about my work in the beginning and what I was trying to do. Mm. Like I was really asking people for a lot because I felt like that was the way you were supposed to do it, of being like, I know this is a big ask because I'm asking you to do this thing. And then I realized, no, I think it's more empowering by saying I'm asking you to do the thing and giving you the autonomy of, of a grown-up adult to say yes or no instead of mm. just apologizing so, mm -hmm. so much. Because that's also a way how we make uh, whoever feel even worse ab again yeah. about yeah, the situation. Yeah, yeah. It's like, hey, this is, I know it's so bad. Yeah. You shouldn't be doing this, but I'm asking, please, can you do it? And I know it's so uncomfortable. Yeah. And that also makes them feel like, hey, what? Like, yeah. wh wh what? As I get older, yeah. I mean, I, I always think, like, what would my 80-year-old self do? Like, that's how I want to be talked to myself. I mm. want people to be like, here's a question you can ask, you know, you can answer yes or no. And I'd be like, yes or no. And it just makes things so much clearer. But there's so much dance around, I think, culturally, too, in the States about mm -hmm. asking for things mm -hmm. and asking for help or, you know, anything mm -hmm. like that. We're supposed to be like such a one man team and you know what you're doing and be so strong. But, you know, I think the more we show our vulnerabilities and the more we can clearly communicate with each other. I mean, the things are just so much better, right? Do you have any theories? Maybe it's a completely silly question and no, it's not. Leaves, to, leaves to nothing. But do you have any theories on why Americans are like that? Maybe service culture, mm. tipping culture. Mm. You always have to get it your way there, and that's how mm. people make money. Like, they have to greet you in a way. Like, you come here, and like, tipping is optional, like most of Scandinavia and mm -hmm. Nordic countries. And then. I think that's uh, that's a big thing when you come there. Like you're always greeted by people who want to help you, but they want to help you because that's how they get paid, and then they expect something in return. So, yeah, there's mm -hmm. very accommodating. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And here, let's say you go to a fast food place, and you're like, I don't want any onions on my burger. You're, you're like disrupting the system. They're like, No, yeah. you take it off the burger yourself. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I can appreciate that. It's more yeah. streamlined. <laughs> yeah. So generally, would you say that there are, like, because you've alluded to that already, but maybe just to already, like, voice it out, uh, general difference, like, big differences, like how your work is perceived in mm. Europe versus, uh, versus the States? You know, like, this is pretty new to me because I feel like the only two opportunities I've had recently to showcase my work here has been through Photographic Sky mm -hmm. in Stockholm and here in Tallinn. Mm -hmm. So it's been incredibly refreshing to come over here uh, in the sense that I I meet an audience now that somehow, and maybe this is cultural, that like gets the work and, and asks intelligent questions. Um, while in the States, my work is considered more controversial um, and it's almost like the, especially the, like the physical weight of these women becomes something I have to talk about like I can't just say bodies they, they have to be like they're fat bodies mm -hmm. and then they're like why are you photographing fat bodies like that's the question or, or why do you think it's important to showcase fa fat bodies? And it's like, it's I don't know. It sounds like almost they want it to be sensational. Oh, like yeah. They, yeah. they want it to be something very, very like important and very um, con uh, controversial. Yeah, I, th I would say every interview I've done there has 
use that vibration so some way of, of you know forcing me to like the, the questions I get are usually written by email so I can't have a discussion and say hey now, now, now you're projecting that this is the work I'm actually doing um, I never said fat bodies you did but I still have to like address it and I always just try to drive it home that I'm just photographing like you say different flowers um, but that's really the 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 uh, the theme of anything it's it's really just having to either defend that that is not what I'm doing or try and divert from th that narrative somehow so yeah that's definitely that the work can only be about one thing and apparently it's about fat bodies and it always has to be a mission a social mission mm -hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to change topics now a bit because before we started recording, you mentioned two very interesting countries, Iran and <laughs> North Korea. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to talk about what were you doing there? Um, Whichever is uh, oh, no, I was more, just being more a... interesting to you. Oh, both were great. I mean, I, I love traveling more than anything. This is why I will always be poor. Um, <laughs> it's, I love going to places that, um, where I don't know what to expect. Um, Thankfully, I grew up in a household that traveled a lot when I was a kid. So that's been, I would say, one of the most wonderful gifts my parents gave me. I think that is like the best education you can possibly have by meeting people from different cultures. And, uh, you know, people are just people wherever you go. And I've never been anywhere where that wasn't true. So uh, North Korea was definitely something I was really intrigued by because of well, obviously a country that's like so full of secrecy. Um, and it's it's easy enough to get there, um, but it's not easy to really see what's going on. But you can still see, kind of see through the cracks. So yeah, it was an oddly fascinating journey. I ran a marathon, not because I'm a runner. I will never run again. I hate running. Like you run a marathon in North Korea. Yeah, I'll never. Yeah, I'll never run again. Can, can you horrendous. please uh, exp expand on that? How, I will expand on that. I only did it because I heard that was the only way you were going to go and explore the city of Pyongyang unsupervised, because otherwise you have a like a minder with you at all times. But if you do it by foot and you run, you can you can uh, like, was there an, like an official marathon? Or yes, least? it was an official marathon. How yeah. many people participated? Oh, I don't know, thousands. Yeah, it and was divided. Most, most North of Koreans. Them North Koreans. Uh, I would say half and half. Yeah, but we weren't and allowed. And the other half? Every other tourist that pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So we were all timed differently. So the North Koreans, I can't remember, ran first or after us, but with like a five minute like stagger or something. So we were not allowed to officially run with the North Koreans. They kind of like they did their own marathon. Did uh, Kim Jong-un win the ma marathon? Uh, he would have had he yeah. run it. Yeah. And he probably has ran it many times. <laughs> mm. Okay, and, and what, was the, what, what was the experience like overall? How long did it you stay like there for? It was like a time machine in some ways. I mean, it was, there are certain things about that trip I'm still digesting even years later. Um, I would say that there are things that I haven't experienced in a long time. I mean, I, I went to Mongolia where I s went on like a camel race trip with a friend and I also went to Jordan to cross Jordan on horseback with Bedouins and even in those two countries, like Bedouins will pull up their cell phone and be on their social media 
But this is like not possible in North Korea, which is liberating in some ways as a tourist, maybe not living there. I can only speak for myself, but they cut off their electricity at like 10 p.m. The whole city goes completely quiet. Um, there is no advertising. There is no like sound pollution. There's no light pollution. Like it's just a very crazy place to be in some ways. And I think th that might be one of the few countries where that is still going on. And you know, it, it made me really reflect upon how much we're, you know, so into our technology now, whether it be phones, whatnot, and, and it's the last place where I feel like I really just sat down like this without any distraction, because there is no distraction. Uh, they have one billboard in uh, Pyongyang for a car they made, I think, mm. many years ago. I don't think they make it anymore. I think they only made a couple, and that is the only piece of advertising they have. And going to such a bare country was kind of amazing for me, but probably very challenging for people that live there. Um, I have a North Korean friend now in Los Angeles, so it's wonderful to speak to her and kind of understand the things that I saw. And, she's and I somebody, still can't. She's somebody who escaped. E exactly. Yeah. yeah, and it's still hard to comprehend, you know, what she what she went through for sure. So. She looks at my pictures that I took there and, and she'll tell me, wow, like you, you were in the main city, like we can't go there. We would never be allowed to go there. Mm. So she's experiencing my journey from inside North Korea in a very different way and, and telling me what like all the signs mean and, and really what's kind of going on behind the picture. Well, um, I get this narration like years later. So yeah, it's utterly fascinating. And uh, wow. I would go back in a heartbeat again just because it's it's uh, it's like nothing else. So, yeah, I was able to take a lot of photographs there, which I was surprised about. So I would love to make a book out there. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to come back in a second. We're going to take a small commercial break, and uh, we'll be right back. And we're back with Julia. Uh, Julia, uh, before I'm going to ask you about uh, how did you end up in Estonia, uh, you also mentioned Iran. Can you also talk about what you were doing in Iran and how did you end up there? I think what we were talking about when we were talking about Iran, it was just my severe food poisoning on a Greyhound bus, but I'm happy to talk about just how I went there too. Yeah, please. Uh, which is really just the same story as I just told about North Korea. I'm just dying to see any place that I can't imagine from the inside. So yeah, I went there and uh, um, I had a spectacular time for about one day and then got the worst food poisoning of my life. I think we all did, the people I went with. And uh, yeah, I actually shot myself on a Greyhound bus. So that was like one of the worst fears I've had since I was a child was to shit myself in public. Uh, been there, done that. It was just as bad as I thought it would be, but like I'm still here, so it's okay. And at least I don't have to worry about it. Like now I know what it's like. Wow, so it's kind of liberating. Is, no, this is very familiar to me. Is I, it? I did you also shot yourself in a Greyhound bus? No, in New York I did. Yeah, it wasn't oh. on a bus. It was Actually, outside. it probably wasn't a Greyhound bus. No, it, yeah, there, it wasn't a bus. But I had I had um, more than three hours of trains and uh, subway to get home uh, after that happened. Yeah, also worst food poisoning of my life. You might be winning. That was uh, the only time I, because when I was living there, I only ate uh, food from Whole Foods because I didn't trust American food. I only bought food from Whole Foods. And I was, uh, there was like um, a music video shoot and I hadn't eaten for the whole day and they only had like this very stereotypical American food. 
uh, and I was so hungry and I was like, it's going to take me an hour to get to Whole Foods. It's closed by the time I just have to eat this uh, set food. And uh, yeah, within half an hour, I was, uh, yeah, it was horrible. But I'm still here as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's a Do you feel liberated after that experience? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not just gastronomically. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It was wonderful. One of the most beautiful and also funny experiences of my life, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, how did you end up in Estonia? Um, for this wonderful show that we've been producing. Um, I was here once when I was nine years old with my parents. That was nine years old? Yeah, that's like 93 or something. So, yeah. As, it's really changed. And uh, I answered just on an open call that Photographiska was um, putting out in regards to an exhibition they wanted to do on psychological needs, which is, to me, a super exciting topic. Uh, and I love the phrasing they had and what they're trying to do. So um, I've been working on a long-term project myself now in the States that kind of reflects those themes and submitted that. and. Then they came back to me and said, oh, we want to make this uh, exhibition about people living with psychological needs in Estonia. So I thought I was a very um, unexpected candidate for this particular show, but I'm very flattered that they picked me to be part of it. So I came here about a month and a half ago and uh, traveled around Estonia by car and uh, met all these wonderful individuals that are now depicted in the show, which I'm not sure if it has a title yet. I, I'm not sure if it has a title yet as well, because I think I've seen a few options for it. Okay, but yep. yeah. Uh, but maybe you want to you wanna tell the, uh, about the process. So the, the people are people with, uh, let's say, mental challenges mm -hmm. and uh, that uh, don't are not, let's say, accepted or seen as, uh, let's say, normal uh, mm. members of, of society. Uh, so was uh, photographing them different for you uh, than compared to people with uh, physical? Uh yeah. Um, I would say yes in some ways, because I, we gave him proposals of how we imagined to shoot everyone. And I quickly realized, OK, I got to just like throw this out of the window. I got to just go with how things are, are going to go because there were some individuals that had forgotten they were going to be photographed. There were some individuals who uh, only wanted to be photographed outside or maybe inside. And so I was like, well, I have to honor their requests, obviously, and I have to just be fluid and, and come in here a bit like clay and <laughs> just see where this goes, which was actually incredibly relieving for me um, that I could meet people really at where they were uh, in their lives in that specific moment. So um, I was just trying to roll with it and capture their personalities to the best of my abilities. So yeah, that was really wonderful. Um, and obviously, there was a language barrier, which I thought was going to be very problematic. I had two wonderful translators helping me this whole trip. But still, it's. Um, I would still say there's a language mm -hmm. barrier because there's only so much, you know, time we had to communicate and whatnot. So it's it was just a challenge, a welcome challenge to see if I can grasp how I perceive their personalities in, in this very brief uh, moment I had with each person. But yeah, it was genuinely moving, 
super fun, like super creative people that I met. Uh, they all had varying degrees of um, abilities, I would say, uh, and and challenges. So yeah, it was a it was wild. How normal do you think you are? Uh, how normal do you think you are? Uh, I like, think I'm the most normal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah look I'm, at me. Come on. Yeah, Is I'm more normal than you. More norm no, it can't be. <laughs> no, I think that you know we we all have our quirks for sure. Um, and I think this is the, really the message we're also trying to drive home with this exhibit. You know, we have to, and, and what nice, the nice things about it is that you go into this exhibit and you might not even, at first glance, like, well, understand that there is something that is different about these people. Because that is the whole idea of, for me was to drive home the idea of familiarity, that you look at them and you're like, well, that looks like my neighbor, that looks like my friend, or, you know, we, we don't look at them differently. And they don't want to be looked at differently. So. I think that is the positive um, message of the show. Um, and I think it's, the less we think about us than them, and it goes for every aspect of our life. I mean, we're, we're closer to you know, being better people and also having more rewarding relationships with the people in our lives. So, absolutely. Yeah, because one of the reasons why I'm asking that, and I know it's like a very pro provocative question, is because even though we don't think about it, everybody has like a, a meter of what's normal mm -hmm. and what's not normal. Right. And you perceive like the people that you normally interact with as normal, and then there's somebody who's not normal, mm -hmm. you know? But you don't know where the exact line is. Mm -hmm. But with artists as well, uh, just like you were talking about in the beginning, one of the reasons why you do the work that you do is that at some point you felt very uncomfortable about something. Mm -hmm. And now people who don't find a way to express it they get very neurotic because it's somewhere inside of them and mm -hmm. they feel all of it and maybe yeah. they can't express it, maybe they don't know how to express it, but artists at least are the ones that are supposed to express it for mm. themselves and for the whole population as well. But if they don't do it, then it's gonna eat them up, you know, and then you're just gonna be some, right. some again, you're gonna be, you're gonna have your strange neuroses, you're gonna be angry at strange things, you're gonna be uh, insecure about certain things and that's gonna make you into a, an abnormal person, if sure. you know what I mean. But if you find a way to process it and transform it into something like, hey, this is this is what I feel, this is what I'm insecure about, this is what I want to express, this is how I feel sometimes, this is what I feel bad about, whatever, then it's like it's like cleansing. You're cleansing of yourself course. and you're also cleansing the society as a whole because again, most people maybe don't have the power to do that or, or maybe are not taught how mm -hmm. to do that. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, just a sheer acknowledgement can sometimes be healing enough. I mean, growing up, I had panic attacks since I was 14. And, you know, I, I went around, suffered with it forever because there wasn't, you know, you couldn't just go on Google because I didn't have Google then, I don't think. But, you know, now, you know, I could have found a support group if it happened to me now or something and found help. It took me years. And then finally, I just had a doctor who, like, sat down with me and actually looked at me and took me seriously. It was like, okay, let's make sure there's something wrong with you. And... Oddly enough, just meeting him and having a physical exam and he gave me some beta blockers that I never took, but just knowing that someone acknowledged me and said, okay, this happens to people. You're, like, you're, you're not crazy, you're not alone. <laughs> there are ways to you know, work with this and that alone fixed me. And I'm not saying that that's an easy fix for everyone like that, but, but sometimes we, all we need to do is just finding people who 
take us seriously when we say, okay, here's this thing in my life that's hard. Like you say, you, if you just keep it to yourself, it's like a snowball effect. So. Yeah, this is also something that they say about uh, like countries that uh, have lots of depressed people, is that even if you have lots of depressed people, uh, the suicide rate is not very high because everybody is used to feeling bad. And that was also said about the Soviet Union. Like oh, wow. everything is gray, everything is bad. You don't have good food, you don't have good entertainment, you don't have good anything. But because that's the way everybody's feeling, mm -hmm. then you're like, yeah, it's normal. I'm just gonna go and I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep on doing it. Because you feel, hey, it's normal. Mm -hmm. Like I say like, hey, I feel like shit. And they're gonna say, yeah, everybody <laughs> does. That's the way life works. But if you live in a country that has a very like a happy population or a very high uh, living standards, and then you feel depressed, but everything around you, all the advertisements, movies, TV shows, everything is like, hey, life is amazing, everything is awesome. Uh, then you feel like, hey, I'm not normal. Mm. But so, so, so much of like normality doesn't come from uh, like facts about the way how we feel or what our physical or mental uh, state, but it comes from like what's the standard in society. Mm -hmm. And so if every, everybody says like, hey, yeah, the way you see the world, the way, way you think, the way you perceive stuff, it's normal, then you feel normal. Because like, hey, I'm accepted. But if they don't, then you don't. But again, the, norm, the normalcy, normality, norm, normalcy doesn't come from within you, it comes from other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, and I think that's, uh, I remember meeting uh, a wonderful author for this project that I photographed too, and you know, he has a, quote unquote normal job and nobody knows that he's living in an assisted place. And he said, you know, it's shameful for me to say. And that's, you know, it's because there's one aspect of his life that maybe he can't manage, but everything else is, you know, works just fine. But we all have an aspect of our life, I think, at all times, or at least at some point in our life that, you know, we need to manage in some ways. And, you know, for me, it's probably yeah, my neurosis is I used to have, and yeah, I'm sure we can all identify with that. So I think we hopefully can become less judgmental because not everyone needs the same thing. We all need different things to function optimally, I suppose. Yeah, and did you figure out what caused your panic attacks? No. No? No. But you got rid of them? I got rid of them, but yeah, I feel yeah. I feel kind of cheated. I spent so many years of that, and <laughs> maybe maybe the gift was that I can empathize with people that are going through the same thing. I don't know. And what what would you say your biggest lesson or lessons have been over the course of the past ten years doing these projects? What have you learned about yourself? Learned about other people? Um that we're more alike than we think. Um, just be nice to each other. <laughs> um, do what makes you happy. Like all the cliches, basically. Yeah, is being taught to me every day when I meet people, for sure. I mean, the only thing I hear about are people regretting things they didn't do. And I know this, that's like the ultimate cliche, but it's also very true. Exactly for that reason, because it's so true. And yeah, because yeah, I was in hospice care. Uh, well, I wasn't in, but I, I worked in hospice care for many years in Sweden uh, as a summer job. <laughs> that and that like was fun. yeah, no, it was actually really valuable. And I wish that was a thing people have to do in, in the United States instead of you know 
serving in the army or something because we rarely talk about you know what is it to to grow old what is it to to lose the things that we take for granted and the thing I would see reoccurring that the thing that people were upset about were things they didn't do and relationships they didn't you know rekindle um, it seemed like we can maybe accept a declining physically declining body and but there are certain things we can't repair maybe at that point and, and those were the things people were really plagued by so I think that was also an eye-opener very early on in my age so I think that really spurs me for in having hopefully rewarding communications with everyone and also try and you know be honest all the time I feel like when I was younger like really young I wish people would perceive me as pretty and then I was like I don't want to be pretty I want to be smart and now I'd rather just be a kind person and well, it's not easy <laughs> it's not always easy like I can be a complete I'm gonna I was gonna say I can't say it but you know but you know that's a work in progress <laughs> yeah I want to per be perceived as really really tall stand <laughs> up I'm, I'm not, no it's a joke because I'm not that tall um, I just lost my train of thought. Uh, the motto of, uh, of Fotografiska is inspiring a more conscious world. Mm. And this is also why we have uh, your works and uh, your, most of your works that I have seen are very um, apropos to that, uh, mm. that message. Uh, what, what do you think inspires a more conscious world or how can we inspire a more conscious world? Or what has inspired a more conscious world for you? the most over the past, let's say, two, five, ten years? Good communication, coffee and comedy. Good communication, coffee and comedy. Wow, that's very good. That's very beautiful. It's almost like you rehearsed that. I didn't. I, you di she did. She rehearsed that beforehand a lot. I yeah. did not know you were going to ask me that. No, you didn't. Yeah, I know. Um, it wasn't that good. Okay, what have been the biggest uh, obstacles to doing what you've been doing? The biggest obstacle? Oh. Um, myself. Yeah? Yeah. Do you like yourself? It's a complicated relationship. Yeah. I do my best. We talk every day. Do you enjoy your own company? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, for the most part, I actually really do. I enjoy doing things on my own. Um, I need a lot of alone time. I would say, take me out one night and I need like three nights to myself. Something like that. 25% I can give to others and 75% yeah. I'm purely selfish. Yeah, but that's yeah. a wonderful gift, isn't it? Yes, provided I can give it to myself. I know a lot of people cannot, so yeah. it's privileged in that way. Yeah, also uh, I now remember what I wanted to mention beforehand. Uh, is that it's one of the most well-known like psychological facts is that if you feel depressed if you feel down whatever the best way to get out of it is to help other people and to focus on others not yourself to be mm -hmm. like oh i'm i'm depressed i'm having panic attacks i'm having this that like what can i do about me 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 mm -hmm. me focus on me 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 but the more we focus on ourselves the worse we feel because we can see more and more stuff that is not like okay about us or mm -hmm. stuff that needs improvement but when we start helping other people it's like it's one of the best antidepressants that there is and if you're somebody who's artistically oriented and you can 
help other people in the way, for example, like you do, which is like, hey, I have an issue that I want to resolve about uh, the way we see ourselves, the way we perceive ourselves, the way uh, our uh, insecurities uh, inhibit our lives. And I can help somebody else with the same problem while I'm helping myself with that problem. Then that's like just uh, a wow, because it's... Uh, it's that can definitely be a wow, as long as you're yeah. helping the right person. You can also, you know, help the wrong person without knowing yeah. it. And no, yeah. but I agree. I completely agree. And if all else fails, then I would say to fail beautifully is also a wonderful way of getting yourself out of your depression. Try try like drawing with your left hand. Like do something you're going to screw up. That is incredibly liberating yeah. for a start. Try drunk <laughs> driving. Oh no, my I'm, God. I'm joking. Don't do that. Please don't do that. <laughs> You're going to feel so beautifully. Uh, no. Okay. Uh, before we finish, I'm going to ask you one last question. Maybe um, give people some uh, like bad advice, things that they shouldn't do. It can be about art. It can be about uh -huh. photography. It can be about life. It might be things that uh, usually let's say somebody gives advice, but you think like, hey, that's actually bad advice. You shouldn't be doing that. Oh, that is a great question. Can I mull it over for 15 seconds? You quietly? can mull it over for 15 seconds, and I pretend as if I'm talking about something else while, uh, while you do that, uh, because this has been a very beautiful episode. And uh, oh, I can actually check if I wanted to ask you something else as well. Did oh. I uh, perhaps forgot something or editor can later pretend as if, oh yeah, I wanted to ask you about one more thing, because the only uh, work of yours that I saw that was uh, different from everything else was uh, Dovetailed, where you photographed oh, yeah. the Japanese uh, hanging uh -huh. ropes, yeah. which is very beautiful. Thank very you. like, is there a certain like a specific story behind that? Because it seemed so left field. Uh, it is very left yeah. field. Um, that was a project with a Japanese geisha who visited America and I met her through a friend of a friend and we got talking and she had a really interesting life story and for some reason it was just serendipitous. She started talking about this photo shoot she always wanted to do where she's suspended in the air and, and through like shibari rope, but never found anyone practicing shibari, I guess, in Japan, which I thought was quite strange since that's where it comes from. But I just happened to know another Japanese lady that was teaching that particular mm. rope skill in Los mm. Angeles. So I put them together and they talked and, and uh, she asked, would you please just like do this shoot with me? So I said, yeah, of course I will. So it really just stemmed from something she personally wanted to do, but I was felt really privileged to even peek into this kind of secretive world that I know very little about. So spending time with her and making this work was really quite something else. Yeah, because it has this certain type of feeling. It almost feels like you're looking at something that you're not supposed to look yes. at. It feels like a secret, but it, it not, not in a dirty way, but just yeah. like you've stumbled on something that you shouldn't have stumbled right, on. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, and I was surprised that she was so willing to do something kind of so private, too, in, in this context. But yeah, again, this is like why I just love what I do of, of feeling the privilege of, of peeking into these lives that are so far away from mine and yet on such a similar wavelength. I never felt like I'm 
connecting with anyone and go like, oh, that, that, I don't, I can't identify with anything. No, I can identify with a lot more than I think. Yeah, I'm going to call the police. You are, you're, you're a sick person. <laughs> I'm going to report you. <laughs> I'm surprised no one said that about me, but yeah. Uh, bad advice. I'm going to come back to this now. Yeah, bad advice would be becoming someone who just photographs hot chicks on Instagram. <laughs> There's a place for that. You can do it. But just don't do it because everyone else is doing it. No, actually, I don't know. No, that was the most inspirational thing I have ever heard. I think the most inspirational thing ever said on this program. Oh, actually. shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Julia SH, uh, thank you very, very much. I really enjoyed talking to you. Likewise, thank you. Yeah, so right there, kaikki tällä vaatimasti ja järjestelmä korjaa.